Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Hey everyone, welcome to this edition of the podcast. We haven't named yet, but we are taking this time to follow up on weekly sermons at the Evangelical Free Church of Canton, and uh, we're going to be using a format that we use actually to write curriculum each week following uh, our Sunday morning messages, and so you'll be able to listen to those messages uh, if you go to podcast platforms and search the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Uh, the messages will come, and then following that, we're going to do uh, a podcast each week just talking more about that and even giving some further discussion to items that were discussed uh, within that message. So uh, we hope this uh, proves to be helpful and challenging and even encourages you to just dive more deeply into God's Word and uh, will equip you to be more like Jesus and bring about application from those messages rather than them just being a one-time deal and we're done. So that's kind of the focus of this uh, specific podcast time. Um, My name is Matt Spangler, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as the lead teaching pastor at the Evangelical Free Church of Canton, and I'm joined by... I'm the video guy. (laughs) The cameraman. Yeah. I'm Caden. Uh, usually, if you if you attend church, you'll see me back in the sound booth. Uh, most of the time, uh, we have a couple other volunteers that come back to help do the production every week, but usually it's me. Um, I also teach Sunday school class uh, Sunday mornings uh, during the 9 o'clock hour, and I'm a seminary student, so I uh, like to think that I know more than I do. <laughs> That's typically, typically what seminary students do, so... Uh, so, today, uh, we just started a new teaching series uh, entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And so we're spending the next eight weeks talking specifically about prayer. And today's broader question, focusing on the message from Sunday, is why pray? Why do we need to pray at all? Um, so we're just going to start, and kind of the first question out of the gate that we'll talk about back and forth here is, uh, what are some of the most common reasons that we hear uh, someone give for why they struggle with prayer. Um, the more direct way of saying that is, uh, what excuses do we commonly hear people give mm. for why they don't pray or why they don't have time to pray or why they struggle to pray? Are, are we going to do specifically my excuses or what people use? <laughs> well, I, I think we should. I think we should share oh. sometimes our own, but even others we hear or ones that are common. So I forget because I'm so busy. Okay, busy. I think that's really common. and. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, when you ask people how they're doing, they they say that I'm busy, mm-hmm. really busy. That's because we prioritize earthly things over spiritual things. Right. Well, and ultimately, we could say we prioritize that which is most important to us. Mm-hmm. If something's important to us, we prioritize it, which is challenging in and of itself. Um, another one I hear a lot of times, I don't know how. I don't feel like I'm good at it. So there's this standard people set for themselves that says I, I that, that's just not 
I think some people would go as far as saying, well, it's not my spiritual gift. Yeah. Which that's a whole other conversation. Um, the, the aspect, prayer is not a spiritual gift that someone is given. Uh, it's really a command of scripture. And so, but that, that is a common excuse or reason given is, I, I just don't know how. Yeah. So I'm not going to. Mine's, mine's mine's typically that I forget. I don't have time. I, I, uh, I think I fall in that same category as most people of, I go to God when I need God. Yeah. Instead of going to God all the time. Yeah. And so, like, whenever there's something super stressful or, you know, it's finances or whatever, I'm like, oh, Lord, I need help. It's time to pray. Yeah. And that, that's a big problem. I, I've, I've recognized that and it was funny that it was right before I even found out that you were doing this series that I just read a book on prayer and it, it's called Where Prayer Becomes Real. It was a really good book and it really made me think about things. So I'm like, wow, I didn't, didn't really understand what I was doing in, in the sense of just always just going to God because I needed something. And it was almost like looking at God like some magic genie in a bottle of, okay, well, I'm ready for my three wishes now, Lord. Where, where are they? Yes. I think that's, I think it's really common for people to even, uh, non-cognitively treat prayer that way. Yeah. Um, and, and if we were to go through and actually evaluate what, what really is the core reason as to why people don't pray, uh, we actually find that people do probably pray, but it's uh, something we pull off a shelf. It's not something that is just common part of who we are as followers of Jesus. Uh, in fact, uh, the interesting thing is <clears throat> prayer is not just a conversation or a concept that is solely reserved within the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you could go to vastly different belief frames of belief and thought, and people still practice "quote unquote" prayer. Yeah, uh, which brings about a need for us to have a clarity as to why should we pray, and what does it look like to pray biblically. Yeah, uh, because when left to our own personal concepts or ideas about what prayer is and why we should do it, it becomes relative, mm-hmm. which then causes us to shape our idea of God in a way that is created more in our image than prayer becoming an outflow of who we know God to be yeah. from Scripture. And that, that was something that you touched on in your sermon was, you know, you can go up to, you know, a Muslim or a Hindu or, you know, a person of a different faith and, you know, talk about prayer. And they're like, well, I pray to God. And you're like, oh, well, me, me too. But it's not the same. That's what people people don't understand, the, the differences and the implication of that that's, you know, it's not all all paths lead to the same. You know, the same place. It's it's totally different, and we learn that in scripture. And the problem becomes that people don't spend enough time rooted in God's word, and a lot of prayer comes out of that. You can actually pray the scriptures, and I know that's is that isn't that what you're coming up next week? You're going to go through the Psalms, aren't you? Uh not yet. Not we're yet, yeah. we're going to start in Daniel next week. That's right. Yeah, Daniel. and talk about praying persistently. Mm-hmm. But there was a big piece of, and we'll talk about it a little later too about how do we how do we pray in a way that is biblical not just in desire but also in content yeah. um, and I think that even that in and of itself leads to another reason people give for why they don't pray is God doesn't answer he doesn't seem to answer mm-hmm. my prayers 
the way I pray them. Yeah. I pray, you know, I prayed for this one thing. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and it just, God seems to be silent. And that has a lot to do with what we believe prayer to be and what we believe we should be praying for or how we're supposed to pray. And so over time, it's actually recently I've heard someone share that they just even walked away from a lot of their faith because God just didn't answer their prayers. He just seems absent. So I think that's another reason people give for why they just stop. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem to be working, so why continue trying? Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from a misunderstanding or a, a misquote from Scripture. And uh, I'm flipping to my Bible here real quick. It comes from Mark 11, where it's 11, 24, where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And a lot of that is taken out of context and misunderstood. People people think, well, if I really want it bad enough, God's going to give it to me. And that's not what that's saying. And that, that leads into an entirely different topic that's a, you know, a rabbit hole of, you know, prosperity gospel. And, you know, if, if you will it, God will do it. Well, that's, that's not how God works. God does what He wants and what's best for everything in the grand scheme, big picture, versus just, well, my life would be a little bit better if I had this. God doesn't work that way. And that's where a lot of that, that comes from with God not answering prayer. It's, well, I, I prayed really hard for this and, it just didn't happen, so I'm done praying. Well, and if you take that that concept's further emphasized in Psalm 37, 4, which says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Whereas oftentimes it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. We say, well, this is something I want, and so I'm going to go to God, whatever that, however we define that. I'm going to go to the guy in the clouds, yeah. or the man upstairs, or the air, or I, I, and then... My expectation is that he would serve me, and that's a very faulty view of of prayer, because in that sense, you have made yourself God and are demanding your will, as opposed to seeing prayer as an opportunity to further understand who God is and what he has willed. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean, we're not saying that you shouldn't pray for things that you want. But that shouldn't be your primary focus in your relationship with God. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's the fine line. Like, it's okay to, you know, pray, be like, Lord, you know, I'm just having a tough time right now. You know, can you help me with this? That's fine. But you shouldn't just be like every week, Lord, if I could just win that Powerball. Believe me, I've tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> <clears throat> well, so the, one of the most simple answers to the question, why should we pray? And it's already kind of been implied a little bit is, uh, simply put, Scripture calls us to pray. Mm-hmm. And we see this in First Timothy 2, where Paul is instructing Timothy and saying, I desire that in every place um, men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. First um, Thessalonians 5 is one of the most commonly referred to sections of Scripture on prayer, where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then even in James chapter 5, you have uh, this call to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another um, faithfully, continuously. And so, really simply, uh, when we think about the scope of why should I pray, one of the greatest motivations there should be recognizing if we believe God's word is true 
and we believe that it's God's instruction for how we're to live and walk and grow and mature, and prayer is a piece of that, then if that's any part of what we want, uh, to do the will of God, to follow after what he's called us to, then there should be a desire, at least a longing, to grow in our ability to and our consistency in prayer. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think that's something that comes with maturity, too. The, the more you get into it and as you start reading some of these passages, you start to see the background behind the prayer. There's They're looking, when they pray these things, for the will of God to be done. I mean, we see that with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, you know, he's not wanting to die on the cross if he don't have to, but he still says, Lord, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. And God says no. And so it's, it becomes a standpoint of that's, that's the, the place where it's okay to say, Lord, I want this, but you have to have that, you know, that exclusion there. But if this isn't what you want for me because you know what's best, don't do it. And he's not going to. Yeah. And that's where those no's come from. Yeah. <clears throat> so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, two passages in particular, Second Chronicles 7 and Acts 17. We referenced both of those in the message on Sunday. And uh, the, really the interesting aspect of these, Second Chronicles 7 falls in uh, the historical scope of the temple. Solomon's temple has just been built. And they're dedicating the temple. And God responds to Solomon. And this is honestly one of those passages of Scripture that especially in this current culture and day and age, people miserably take out of context. And you just see a small piece of that. Uh, namely, I think it's verse 14. Um, that, that uh, yeah, if my people are who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And, guys, this falls right in the scope of some Christian nationalism where we convince ourselves that this passage proves that if everyone would just uh, pray more and commit themselves to the Lord more, that God would heal America. <clears throat> that that that's, that's God's intended purpose. And the reason this is so dangerous taken out of context is it convinces people that if we just do more, if, if we just do more, in and of our own strength, if we do more, God then will honor it. And it paints God to be this manipulative, like, I'm just sitting here, I could solve everything right now, I'm just sitting here waiting for people to come to me, and once they do that, you know, okay, now, it's, it's like the it's like the parent dangling a cookie mm-hmm. in front of their kid, and say, well, you could have this, but you gotta do, you gotta do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Now, now, when put into perspective, and we understand the Old Covenant, and we understand God's relationship with his people in the Old Testament, that brings to light a little more regarding what what's happening here. So, Cain, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about like the journey from uh, the nation of Israel in Egypt to the establishment of the temple and kind of the in-between. Yeah, so this is a really great subject to talk about. Um, the people of Israel, the Israelites, were... Slaves in Egypt, they were held captive by Pharaoh, and while the biblical narrative tells us that Moses led the people out of slavery, it was really God, and God was leading Moses. Moses was acting kind of like a, a liaison or a, a intermediary between God and the people, and so 
we have God leading the people out of Israel, and <clears throat> the two representative forms that that are, are noted in in Scripture are either a pillar of cloud or smoke and a pillar of fire, and and these were kind of separated. You know, there was a distance between between God and the people, and and if you're th- if you're imagining it, say you know you think just think of this massive group of people moving across the countryside, and then way off in front of them is this pillar of fire or this pillar of cloud or smoke. And that was God. So he wasn't at that point really dwelling with the people. And moving forward in the narrative, what you really should do is read from Exodus through Chronicles. And that'll that'll kind of summarize and give you you know a better understanding than what I have time to, you know, describe here. Um but in Exodus we see um Moses getting the instruction from God to to build a tabernacle it's in Exodus 25 and um the tabernacle was you know kind of like a tent they called it the tent of meeting and this is where God first dwells with man in in the narrative of um the Israelites coming out of Egypt and so moving forward from there we get into the time of King David and in 1 Chronicles David wants to build a a solid temple you know something something more than this tent of meeting that traveled with the people now the people are settled in the promised land and so they they want this centralized place where God can dwell and so David wants to build this temple and God tells him no you, you've been a, a king that's been in war and you've shed so much blood and so he uh, he tells David but through your son Solomon who will have my peace during his reign he will build the temple and so then in second chronicles 3 Solomon builds the temple and God comes and dwells there now the significance though of this temple is like I said before in the Exodus uh, narrative where there was kind of this distance or separation we still have that with the temple and we have in the temple is there's this place called the holy of holies and this is where God resides okay and so God's in the Holy of Holies, and there's a, a veil or a curtain. You know, you, you've probably heard about this in the gospel narrative of the temple veil was torn in two when Jesus passed on the cross. And so this is that separation. And so even the high priest who makes the sacrifice for the people, because you remember we're in the Old Testament here, so they're still under the sacrificial system. And so the the high priest makes sacrifice for himself to atone for his sin before he can even enter the holy of holies because you got to think this is where god's dwelling so it's a holy place you can't enter in there you know in in sin and so the, the high priest makes a sacrifice and then he goes in and then he makes a sacrifice on behalf of the people <clears throat> but the people still aren't allowed in the holy of holies and so when we fast forward into the New Testament and the New Covenant, where Jesus makes that the perfect final sacrifice on the cross, tearing that temple veil into making that separation from God disappear. So now we have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in, inside of us, and we see that in 1 Corinthians. I believe it's 1 Corinthians. Um, I'll look up. Yeah, we see, we see that... Um, that new dwelling of the Holy Spirit in us in 1 Corinthians 3.16 where Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And so moving forward um, 
in in this discussion of of you know the dependency on God and and um, how we communicate with Him and and our relationship with Him in relation to where He dwells is uh, significant. And I'll, I'll let you continue and carry that on moving forward. Okay, so just to summarize, yeah, because I kind of went everywhere with that. <laughs> Here's a lot. <laughs> Well, there is a lot. You told me to go through it. So I know. I, just, I, I know. Well, and, and the emphasis being um, God's dwelling with his people in the temple was one location where all people would come. And then when you shift to Acts 17, it actually changes the dialogue in verses 24 through 31. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, Mm -hmm. since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of our own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And so this specific section of Acts is actually a response to the people setting up an altar to the unknown God Mm -hmm. and this emphasis of, no, he he doesn't have to be unknown because he's made himself known. And so there's this drastic shift from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant in Christ, which you mentioned, which is simply that it used to take a lot for man to even approach God and come into his presence. But through the blood of Christ, there has now been opportunity for all people through Jesus to come before the throne of God and knowing that Christ intercedes on their behalf. And so uh, there, there's this mental shift that has to take place where unfortunately, oftentimes, I think we do operate uh through the mentality that we're still kind of in the old structure, like I, if I'm, if I, if I'm not really good enough, then I can't really come before God. If uh, I, if I don't know what to say uh, or how to say it, then I can't really come before God. And and yet, in all of those things, we're putting the burden and the pressure on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas, really, the expectation biblically under the new promise given us in Christ is that you, your, your primary responsibility is to be dependent upon Christ. And the more dependent you become on Christ, the more you recognize what prayer should look like based in what you've been given by the grace of God, uh, not of anything you've done. Absolutely. So, in the scope of this, recognizing the difference between what it looked like under the Old Covenant for people to have to cleanse themselves in order to be considered righteous, and then understanding in Christ, you are a new creation. And we have to live and walk and breathe 
in that truth if we're going to understand why we should pray. And in fact, furthermore, when we, the more we understand that, the more we understand what God has done in Christ, is the more we understand how much we don't deserve that in light of our sin, which then should bring us to a place of further awe in light of who God is, which then leads us to further devotion and worship and prayer before God who has already demonstrated to us his love and grace in Christ. Absolutely. That was the the big realization for me in my prayer life was not taking my faults to God. Because it's almost like you feel like, ooh, here I am, I'm before the Lord in prayer, yet I'm a sinful person. And even though I've been redeemed in Christ the the struggle is still there between the flesh with sin and the spirit that dwells within that's holy and perfect and it's almost like an embarrassing feeling because you're like ooh but you got to realize God already knows God already knows that you're you're a simple person he already knows what you did so when you go to him in that prayer and you're like okay lord look this is this is what I did these are my faults I want to be better make me better make me more like you and that, that's that's the the type of prayer. That's where I started, and where things really began to change for me. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of prayer things have popped up. Going back to Second Chronicles, there has happened with COVID because a lot of people are taking that and looking at it like, well, if we just pray more to God, He's going to stop COVID. And that's that's wrong. <laughs> like that's that's that genie in a bottle thing. Um, and that was just something I want to touch on because I've heard that so many times. And I've seen it a lot on social media where people are like, you know, we need to be praying more, which is absolutely true. We do need to be praying more. But it's the standpoint of if we all just get together and we, we get back to God and pray, he's going to take all these bad things away. And that's the same thing that the people were doing in Second Chronicles. And it, it wasn't working out for them. So that was just something that I thought I needed to get in there to make people out. Yeah, for sure. So... Scripture commands us, why should we pray? Scripture calls us to do that, and God has made a way for us to do that. Um, the Kind of the second focus point of our message uh, on uh, on Sunday was another reason we need to pray is because our eyes are fixed on the wrong things. Um, and Colossians 3, 1 and 2 emphasizes this further, where it's actually a call to, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So, uh, this emphasizes your natural tendency is not to focus on the things God has called you to focus on. Which means, most of the time, the things you're praying for, or instinctively seeking out, are not the things of God. Would you agree with that or disagree with that? I would agree. I would agree fully. I I I don't do that myself. I, it took when I first started seminary. It took a a lot for me to fully give into what God was wanting for me there. Um, I was thinking, you know, one avenue, and God was thinking a completely different one. And I was like, mm, uh, no, I think this is where I need to be. And it it took a lot of a lot of prayer to even come to the realization that I was wrong and that God was the whole time poking me going, no, hey, 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 you're supposed to be going this way. And so that that changed another aspect too. When you have those little realizations of, whoops, this isn't what I was supposed to be doing and it's the opposite of what I was praying about, that's why prayer journaling is, is awesome. You can see it then. You write down your prayers and then 
if you get a response to it, write that down as well, and you can link the two. Um, and that kind of helps you, you know, guide you uh, for God's will in your life. That's a whole other topic for another time. But um, that that helps you draw your focus and change your perspective on what you're praying for and why. Yeah. <clears throat> so, in the scope of this, how do we begin to shift our mindset when it says seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. How do we do that? For the person listening who's going, I understand I'm supposed to seek the things above, but the things here in the horizontal here on earth, they are overwhelming me right now. How in the world do I begin to shift my mindset away from that and fix my eyes on the things above? Uh, I would say the first thing is you've got to actually open your Bible and start reading it. You've yeah. got to get under the control of God's word. Um, and that that's, you know, we see Jesus telling that to the woman at the well in John 4. It's actually 424 where he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Well, you can't get truth from the things of the world. We We know that. There's a lot of sensory overload out there, things that we feel that we need and we want. And so when you get yourself under the control of God's word, that's that's the first step. You've got to know that truth of God and and the salvation through Christ before you can go any further. Yeah, I and I think the more we root the other piece of this, how much about the promises of God do we really know? Um, that 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 is the other aspect of this that we have to take note of because if we do not understand or know what God has already promised to his people, then we're going to be really frustrated when we continue to ask for things that God has not promised and then continue to be frustrated that he say, says no or that does, or we feel like he's just not responding. Yeah. Um, as you were saying that, I was I was flipping through Matthew because it, it was making me think of of the section in Matthew. Um, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew six twenty five through thirty four, where he's talking about not being anxious and worrying about earthly material things. And one of the first one of the things that really jumps out at me there is verse thirty three, where he says, "But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." And all these things will be added to you, and that's that's that that's a you know go, that's going back to that starting point of you know seeking the kingdom first, and we look at the Sermon on the Mount as one of Jesus's most profound teachings and how Christians should live. Uh, coincidentally, I wrote, I wrote a paper recently on this um, on the Sermon on the Mount, and that's that's an area where. If you spend a little time reading on that, you see that because, and it's more than just anxiousness. It's it's wants and needs. Um, sometimes the chapter titles and section titles are just titled because of a common word in there, um, but it it's definitely about that it, that want of material things above the spiritual and how to deal with that. Hmm. Yeah, and and it doesn't just have to be. Here's here's the challenging thing. It doesn't just have to be material wants. I think when we truly start to look at the promises of God, we realize God has not promised that 
our, our, our burdens are going to be resolved here. God has not promised that he will bring physical healing to those that we love. God has not promised financial wealth. He has not promised any kind of comfort or security here on earth. In fact, it was pretty much the opposite. I know. (laughs) In these times, you're going to have trouble. And so (laughs) often, we end up treating prayer like a prescription for an infection. Well, if you just pray about that, or if you just pray a little bit more. Well, but beyond that, our tendency is when someone's sick or in the hospital, we pray. Mm-hmm. When I am at my, my the end of my rope, I pray. When things just explode, yep. I pray. And then when when that situation is resolved, when the person comes home from the hospital, when my situation is better, what happens? I stop praying. Absolutely. Why? Because I've I am seeing prayer through a lens of uh, when I need it for my own benefit, then I'm going to wield it. That I have some power, uh, some some authority in and of myself uh, to determine what is best. And then when it doesn't happen. All of a sudden, God is to blame, and I, I, you know, I, I'm just not going to do it anymore because He's not doing what I want Him to do. Yeah, absolutely. Something that you'd said, you know, about praying for the sick and stuff that really um, jumped out at me is Manette Drumright is the former director of the International Prayer Strategy for the International Mission Board, and uh, this quote really hit me. Um, there was a class I was taking in school. And this was in one of the books I was reading. It says, in our churches, we spend more time praying to keep six saints out of heaven than we do praying the lost people into heaven. And that's that's, that's something you you know, you'd kind of touched on there was that we we do spend a significant amount of time praying for you know during those times of distress and crisis. Of, oh no, this this these bad things are happening. You know, my my friends you know got this illness or this ailment or something's going on, and we're more focused with that current physical need than we are with the spiritual need. Because, I mean, maybe, you know, that person's not saved. And we're praying for healing for them, which is not, you know, I'm not saying that that's wrong or a bad thing, but we do spend more time doing that than we do praying for salvation of people that don't have it. Yeah, and no way am I saying it's, it's, it's wrong for us to end up praying for people in hardship. Yeah. In fact, we're going to talk about that in weeks ahead when we enter the Psalms and talk about how do I pray in times of suffering or oppression. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? But as you read through the Psalms, what you find is when when the psalmist would cast their cares upon the Lord and be brutally honest with God about where they're at, they ended those times by remind a reminder about who God is and what he has promised. Mm-hmm. Even in the midst of not knowing if they were going to live, at the end of that mourning or remorse or burden cast to the Lord, there's an emphasis back on, but God, I know who you are. And I know you have promised these things. And so in that, I'm going to find rest. And the key for, for those of you listening, 
the biblical key for you to experience the peace and the rest of Christ, regardless of what you're going through, is is answering the question where your eyes fixed. If your eyes are fixed on the horizontal and the only thing that's going to bring you peace or satisfaction is to see the horizontal resolved, you're going to be anxious the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Because what scripture does reveal to us is it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah. And instead, if you fix your eyes upon who God is and what he has already promised, then you're going to find a peace that can't be described or explained by the things of the world because it's not in the world. It's not of the mm-hmm. world. But so many of us, and I say us because this is not just people who are outside of the church. So many people who claim the name of Jesus to be saved are still, oftentimes without thinking about it, finding their hope and their peace and their joy in the horizontal things rather than the vertical. (laughs) That reminds me of a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Judas remained unconverted, even in the company of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have some people still among us in whose ears the 30 pieces of silver chink so loudly that the sound of the gospel cannot be heard by them. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly true. You know, you, you look, especially if you, re- you read the gospels, all four of them, you'll see in, in there where there's talk about Judas getting angry over money and different things because he was so worried about what's going on here right now instead of what's going to come. You know, a mortgage typically these days is paid off in 30 years. Imagine, just think, especially if any of you have actually paid off your mortgage, think of how long that took. Now think of eternity. It's way longer than that 30-year note. That's something I'd be more concerned about than what's going on right now. Yes. That puts it in perspective for me. Yeah. So the last question we want to ask uh, as we kind of in this time is to reflect on the statement, a statement that I made in my message on Sunday, which is this statement, the more dependent we become on God, the more disciplined we are in prayer. And the interesting thing about this statement is I actually had it written the other way before I really jumped in and studied um, for, for this message. I, I had it written before that the more disciplined we are in prayer, the more dependent we become on God. And what I've realized is that's usually how we approach this aspect of prayer, is we realize we're not dependent on God. And so we think, if I just pray more, if I discipline myself more in prayer, I'll become more dependent on God. Mm -hmm. And the fallacy of that is it convinces ourselves that this is something that we can do uh, of our own accord, that by doing more, somehow we will have a better relationship with the Lord. When in reality, it has way more to do with our viewpoint of who God is. Do we really have a grasp on who God has revealed himself to be? As Romans 1 would say, all creation testifies to who God is. Uh, The word of God is living and active. Jesus was in the beginning. He's he's known as the word. Uh, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Um, Do we really have an understanding and comprehension of not who we want God to be, but who God has already revealed himself to be. And if we don't, then that's going to show itself in our prayer life, or lack thereof. Yeah, I, rem- I remember getting a text from you <laughs> saying, what do you think about this from a message? And it was the the original one where you know we were talking about being more disciplined and that would allow, cause you to be more dependent on God. And then you're going, but then, and you sent me the updated one, and I was like, 
oh man, it like that hit me in the gut because I'm like, wow, I was in that first category. I still am for all intents and purposes. I'm still, I still very much am in that first camp uh, because it's not. There's no magical revelation when when you follow Jesus or you read Scripture or you commit your life fully to Christ that you just automatically are fully there where you need to be. It's an ongoing process, um, and that's that's where this statement comes in because the more dependent you become on God, the more that process develops in you, and that's with prayer and, and every other aspect of Christian life. And so... I know I'm not there yet, um, but it's good to have a question like this, or even or a statement like this. You can use it as a question, whatever, to to really check yourself and think, okay, where am I at? And this tells me that I need to be more dependent on God, and that explains to me why. Which, if we go back to what I said in the beginning, this is this is a big issue in my life is prayer. This this tells me why my prayer life is what where it is and is what it is. And you know, it reminds me of there was there was a time this season when we were out hunting together, and I remember uh, I think it was my son. He was like, "Oh no, we forgot to pray this morning." And I remember Matt. He's like, "What are you guys talking about? I've been praying. I've been praying this whole time." And that's that's kind of what Paul's talking about in in Philippians. I think it's Philippians where he says, you know, through by prayer and supplication, you know, always, always was the key word there. And that's <clears throat> that's that dependency on God, because the prayer doesn't necessarily have to be a want or a need to be covered. It can just be thankfulness. It can be joy. It can be so many things, and that's that constant communication. And that's where that the statement really plays out on that dependency of, on God. Yeah, and we're going to build upon that. As we as we go through this series, we're going to build upon how do I how do I understand what it looks like to grow in my dependence upon the Lord, and we're going to look at several major Bible characters uh, in the process of this. Next week is going to be Daniel. We're going to look at uh, how Daniel modeled persistence in prayer, even when told he shouldn't, he, he can no longer mm-hmm. pray. Uh, what did that look like, and what can we learn from the patterns that he set forth uh, from the very beginning in a really difficult time? Uh, for Daniel and his friends, um, that we're going to look at the Psalms and we're going to understand how did David pray and how uh, specifically in turmoil, how did David pray and what can we learn about the structure of his prayer prayer life, and then we're actually going to cap this series with several weeks focusing on what what can we learn from Jesus Himself on how we should pray and how we shouldn't pray mm-hmm. because he talked a lot about both of those yeah. items. And ultimately, how he taught people uh, this should happen. And Lord willing, uh, each one of us will grow uh, in our prayer life and, uh, more importantly, in our dependence upon God and our eyes being fixed on the vertical more than on the horizontal. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing, too. I mean, when you're you're looking at the whole goal of, of Christian living is modeling Christ, Read the Gospels. You'll see, like, look. just look for times where Jesus prayed. And it'll really jump out at you. He prayed a lot. He prayed a lot. And we find, you know, where he, he says there in, in early in, in the Gospel of John, you know, go go into a secret place and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees you in secret. And 
you then you keep going and you find Jesus praying. You, you know, you'll hear it, Jesus got up early in the morning and went off to a place by himself to pray. And when you really read that in context and look at it, it, it wasn't just like a, a lot of times like a quick, you know, just 30 second couple sentence prayer. You look like Jesus was out there for hours praying. And, you know, that's something else, you know, we can look at, too, like, you know, praying a holy hour or something like that. You know, what what does that look like? There's just so much in Scripture that I think we we neglect to to pick out because it doesn't, not that it's not important, but it just doesn't jump out as, at us as, as something that's significant until we we come across a sermon or something like that that really makes us think, oh, what is what is that? You know, like you said with David, Look at look at some of the psalms, like where David's in a time of distress, and and look at that as and think of it like a prayer, and you'll really go, wow, that's that's intense, because it is. I mean, there's chest beating, just raw emotion in his prayers. So, yeah. so um, until next time, uh, feel free to. Uh, let us know if you have further questions about these things. Uh, you can uh, actually email me, Matt, at cantonefree.com. If there's questions you have or wrestlings you have that you'd like us to cover or talk about, uh, we'd love to know that. And uh, in the future, as we navigate this, uh, we're just going to be transparent and uh, continue to go to God's Word with the desire that we would grow ultimately to become more like Jesus. All right. We'll close with some prayer. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Father, we come to you today. Uh, knowing that you're a good God and that you've made a way for us to come before you with confidence, is what Hebrews 10 says, that uh, the curtain that's been opened through the blood of Jesus, that we can come confidently into the holy places. So today I pray for those listening, and I pray for those specifically who are burdened and overwhelmed with circumstances of life, that they would understand uh, who you are and the promises that you have given, specifically the promises of eternity free from these burdens in Christ that they would run to you and uh, understand that no matter what takes place in the horizontal right here on earth, it doesn't affect your plans and purposes and your sovereignty for all eternity. And so, Father, may this create a dependence upon you as we seek to become more like your Son and long for the day that we're freed from these earthly burdens and in your presence forevermore. Until that day comes, Lord, for your glory, we serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.